G'day friends and welcome once again to our Equip podcast. This term we're going through ecclesiology or in normal language, churchology. Well, we're looking at the what and the why and the how and the who of church. On Sunday just gone, we finished looking at a couple of definitions of church and then we also moved on to begin looking at where the church is. So just to bring you up to speed, what we looked at on Sunday in terms of definitions, uh, we began with sort of uh, taking stock of the perspective that we bring to something like ecclesiology. What's our theological background have to say about the way that we approach questions of church? And you might remember that the week before last, we looked at things like the connection of the Old Testament to the New Testament, how valid How binding are the Old Testament models and laws when it comes to thinking about church? This week, we looked at how sufficient is Scripture. Primarily, we dug down into two areas, the normative principle and the regulative principle. You might remember that the normative principle is sort of like a a green light and the regulative principle is more like a red light. Under the normative principle... If scripture is silent on something, then we have freedom to explore whatever that might be guided by the wisdom of scripture. So where scripture is clear, then follow that. Uh, Where scripture is unclear or silent, then make up your own mind with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of God's people, and as long as it doesn't contradict what's already there. On the other hand, the regulative principle is more along the lines of if scripture is silent, then uh, be very cautious around it or even don't go there. Um, Instead, we want to stick with what is clearly explained in God's word. Now, at our class on Sunday, I had a lot of fun thinking through the extremes of those two positions with you guys. So with the normative perspective, it's possible just to become entirely pragmatic. Uh, Do whatever works rather than necessarily being theologically driven and driven by the wisdom of God's word. From the regulative perspective, the the red light perspective, it's possible to also go off the deep end in not allowing anything that isn't specifically mentioned in the scriptures. For example, uh, there's a denomination called the Churches of Christ that's different to us, even though they have the same name, uh, and they don't allow music in church at all because the New Testament doesn't mention music doesn't mention instruments. Uh, They sort of ignore the Old Testament on that one, uh, but uh, they'll have a cappella singing in their Sunday congregations. So in terms of where you sit, more normative or more regulative, that's going to affect the way that you approach this question of what and where and who is the church. If you hold that scripture is less prescriptive and uh, particularly in its narratives is more descriptive, as in the normative principle, then chances are you're not going to see a lot of acts, for example, as binding for the church today. You'll see it as a description rather than a prescription. Whereas those who hold to the regulative principle, the red light principle, will see acts as more binding for us today. It applies in large measure to what the church is meant to be. It's more prescriptive than descriptive. Now, we then have to talk about in what ways is the book of Acts prescriptive for us? Is it down to every letter or is it 
in the warp and woof of the narrative and so on and so on. And those are bigger questions. Uh, but one of the things that's worth thinking through is where do you sit? Do you sit more normative principle or do you sit more regulative principle? And it's worth noting that both of these perspectives are perspectives that take scripture seriously. Uh, neither one is, is sort of occupied by those who don't want to take scripture seriously. Uh, both do. I mentioned as well that I've sort of undergone and am undergoing a bit of a shift in this area of my thinking. Uh, I've moved from more normative principle now to leaning more regulative principle. Uh, and I'm not totally there, uh, but I, I see a lot more to it. And um, just as a, an interesting illustration, I was reading an article last week by Jonathan Lehman. Uh, you can look up his stuff on the Nine Marks website. He has some really good things to write. And he just had this interesting little illustration about the regulative principle and how it can be good. Because once we start hearing things like, oh, this is a, a red light principle, then we start to worry that our, our Christian freedom might be constrained in some way by a theological construct. Uh, and we don't want that. Um, but um, just listen to this illustration as, as to why this could be good. My wife and I recently enjoyed seeing Gregory Porter at Washington DC's historic Howard Theatre. Uh, so he's a, a jazz musician. And maybe that inspires me to open a jazz club in my own Washington suburb. So I apply for the appropriate business license, which is then granted, and eventually we open for business. Guests come, they love the music, but something's missing. They keep asking for food menus. And I think back to my experience at the Howard Theatre, and sure enough, they served us dinner. What a combo it was, dinner and jazz. So I install a kitchen into my club and I hire a chef and I hire wait staff and begin serving dinner. Perfect. At this point, however, a man from the county licensing office shows up and asks us if I have a food service establishment permit. Well, no, but you understand, sir, night after night, people are just asking for food. So it makes perfect sense to simply offer them a menu. Well, whether or not it makes sense, says the county agent, serving food exposes the club to another circle of regulations and responsibilities that serve to protect the citizens of the county. And the business license in hand simply says nothing about serving food. An additional license is necessary or fines will be levied. And I could add, or even worse, uh, the customers may end up with food poisoning. Why are licenses there? Uh, and this is my comment now, but why are licenses there? Well, to make sure that food is safe, to protect the customers, to help make sure that the restaurant is actually a good place to be. Should the restaurant do things that aren't on the licensing agreement? Well, we would say no. Uh, the regulative principle is pretty similar to that, actually. It's not so much about restricting our freedom as much as pointing us to where freedom and goodness truly is. What's actually good for us? Living by God's words. It's kind of like having the permits is actually good for the customers of the restaurant. So the Holy Spirit has spoken through the scriptures to authorise some things and leave out things that aren't authorised. And that's the idea of the regulative principle. Uh, how that applies to our gatherings together? Well, uh, do the things that scripture says to do. Sing, preach, and pray the gospel. Don't get caught up doing other things. 
but of course, there's still lots of variety in how we sing and preach and pray the gospel. And maybe there's a, a bit of a uh, corollary there to jazz. Uh, there's plenty of improv in jazz, but within the constraints of musical movements and theory. And that's a bit of what the regulative principle tries to capture. Big stuff to think through. Uh, we also looked at two definitions of what church is, and um, one of those was Mark Dever's The Gospel Made Visible, helpful in various ways. Uh, but we also looked at a bigger definition by Greg Allison, uh, which we'll dig into in the weeks to come. Now, we also began looking at where is the church? Uh, when we talk about the church, the people of God, uh, where is that supposed to sort of be a, a referent? Is it supposed to be uh, everywhere all at once? Is it supposed to be just a local body of believers? Is it supposed to be a, a denomination? The Anglican Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Roman Catholic Church? Is it every Christian on the Central Coast, every believer in the world? Well, um, I made the case that we should think about the church as a local gathering of believers. Uh, next week, we'll uh, look a little bit more at the other side of this definition, which is it's also the universal church. That is all believers who have uh, trusted in Christ across all of history and time and place. Uh, but primarily, the way that the Old and New Testament talk about the ecclesia, the church, is as a local body of believers. And you can take a look at the attached documents to this page uh, where we have our, our class notes. And you'll see a bunch of verse references there to the use of ecclesia, that is church or assembly in the New Testament in particular. And what you'll note there is that some 80-something times out of 114-odd uses of ecclesia refer to local church or local churches. And one of the implications of that is that we should think about church as a local gathering of believers. It's worth noting as well that each of these local gatherings had their own elders, their own leaders. So they were self-governing. And we'll look at that a little bit more at our time together on Sunday before then moving on to think about, well, does the Bible talk about church in a bigger sense? Does it talk about churches in regions, for example, you know, the church of Philippi? Uh, does it talk about uh, church in the bigger sense of a denomination, the Anglican church, the Presbyterian church? Uh, I don't think that it does, but there are a few verses that we need to sort of wrestle with and, and work the meaning out of. So we'll do a bit of that on Sunday. Uh, looking forward to it and hope that you can join us. Thanks very much.